You're listening to the CapEx Big Question podcast, where we're joined by other investors, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs discussing global game-changing trends and burning topics that keep investors up at night, one question at a time. So today we're going to talk about asymmetry. The dictionary describes this as having no balance or symmetry, lacking in balance or uneven in distribution. So I'll give you some examples in a minute, but I'm going to assume market asymmetry isn't a totally new concept to you. Let me start with what I see as the foundation, if you will, to our current unstable market environment. It is an Alice in Wonderland environment that has been building for the last two decades at least, but really in earnest since the GFC. To do so, I'm going to briefly cover benchmarks, because they're important, and then move on to asymmetry, how it builds and why it builds. A benchmark is considered something stable, a foundation, if you will. Just as the rest of a house can't be built without the foundation, so the rest of global assets cannot be priced without a benchmark. Cash is the ultimate form of a benchmark as it's liquid and presumably acceptable. Naturally, when you have a loss of faith in a currency, then it no longer forms an adequate benchmark because its value moves around too much. But assuming a reliable, stable currency, or at least the perception of one, cash is a useful benchmark. Closest to cash, and in fact only used as a benchmark, provided that cash can also be used, we find government securities. This is the case since they are ironically seen as risk-free. The US bond market in particular acts as the benchmark for global capital. Central banks affect the economy by raising or lowering interest rates, thereby affecting this demand for capital. Now, I've spilled a lot of digital ink discussing the topic of the bond market, and so I don't intend to rehash it today. Suffice to say that when you mess with the cost of capital, it messes with the pricing of assets. The more you mess with this cost of capital, which acts as a benchmark, the more you mess with the pricing of assets globally. In fact, if you were to attempt to screw with asset prices, the catch-all would be affecting the cost of capital. This is quite frankly why we spend so much time on asymmetry. It is because the distortions created by the mispricing of capital are of a magnitude not only greater than ever before, but ever imagined by even the most wildly pessimistic of, ob- of market observers. It was recently stated by Axel Weber, who is the, or who is a former policymaker at the ECB, and who was the president of the German Bundesbank. Axel stated something to the effect that. He doesn't think a single trader can tell you what the appropriate price of an asset he buys is if you take out all of the central bank intervention. Now, if you think about it, this is absurd, but it's an absurd situation in which we must operate. But let us return to asymmetry. We know it is created by a mispricing of assets, and the mispricing of assets is largely a function of central bank activity. But it's not the only one by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, what they've done and are doing we can disagree with, but the market reaction plays a massive part as well. So 
you see the market is always attempting to anticipate an outcome. If you believe that central banks do will do X resulting in Y, then you bet accordingly. That's just logical. This can happen even when the fundamentals are unsupportive. Let me give you an example. If you took a particular sector, let's just say, for example, the renewable energy sector, and you knew that this sector was going to get a windfall payout from government subsidies, you might choose to trade the companies which will benefit. You'd do this even where the companies are unprofitable and wouldn't exist without government subsidies. It pays to be very aware of this. A market's view of an asset, together with an ability to finance that view, can quite easily result in asymmetry, both on the up or the downside. This is a repeating theme. If you go back and you think what we've had in the last couple of decades, we had Greenspan, who, whether he cares to admit it or not, helped create the dot-com bubble, and Bernanke, who presided over the post-dot-com bubble, when the Fed kept interest rates artificially low, thus inducing the housing bubble, which burst spectacularly in 08, bringing down banks and insurance companies and ushering in a long and painful recession, which in truth we're still grappling with. It's affected millions of people, and certainly the GFC crash was more painful than the dot-com crash. The coming bond crash promises to, to be really an order of magnitude greater, so the market reaction to central bank policy can be very powerful. It can create carry trades, which is something else that one needs to consider. The ability to finance in one currency and invest in another, earning a spread. This itself can cause capital to be allocated more than it would otherwise into certain sectors. So we just discussed how you could have government subsidies affecting more capital going into a particular sector. The ability to finance something is purely leverage. So if you go back and... We saw this in the resource boom and the US dollar carry trade, which I've spoken about at length. Then if you go back, think back to, say, the 90s and the hype over the Asian tigers, which was fueled by dollar borrowing and then which blew up spectacularly in the Asian crisis. Now, the asymmetry built in part due to the carry trade, which helped finance it, and in part due to rapid growth of the Asian economies. What's unusual about our current environment is that we have multiple bubbles that have been created. This is in part due to global central bank coordination, the likes of which we've never seen before. So we've had the ECB, the BOJ, the Fed and the Bank of England all coordinating policy. This, folks, we've never had before. This coordination has allowed for global, globally priced assets to become affected. It is a most extraordinary set of circumstances. I'm of the opinion, as many long-term readers will know, that there's divergences taking place in terms of political rhetoric, in terms of popularism, um, all of which will flow through into a divergence of central bank policy and threatens to create massive imbalances, structural imbalances, within the central banks globally that then flows through into the markets. So what I wanted to do was to explain why it is that I'm spending all the time and my team's time on focusing on asymmetry and and asymmetric setups. If we look at the Greek debt crisis, which Carl Bass and Mark Hart shorted, you had Greek debt 
which uh, these gents were buying credit default swaps against, which basically insured against non-payment in the case of a structured default. The easiest way to think about this is as a standard insurance product. So, for example, you insure your home for, say, a million dollars, and you would pay, say, $2,000 per year to insure it. If it burns down, the insurance company will pay you for pay you out your million dollars. So you can see that the payoff is quite asymmetric. You'll end up paying $2,000 a year to cover a million dollars worth of collateral. Now imagine that your home is located on the beach and there's just been a massive earthquake just offshore and there's a tidal wave coming and you know it's going to hit your home. You're just not sure exactly when. It's a bit of guesswork as to timing. What does the insurance premium now look like? The odds are it shouldn't be anywhere near $2,000. It should be far closer to a million dollars. Well, you might say that nobody would sell you an insurance contract for $2,000 per year in that instance, and most of the time you would be right. But go back to the mispricing of assets which you've just discussed, and you'll see that the market's view of what an asset should be priced at is extremely distorted. In essence, the market believes in the ability of our central banks or our governments to keep that tsunami at sea. With respect to those credit default swaps we just I just mentioned, to give you some numbers, Kyle Bass was paying roughly just about $1,100 to control debt worth a million dollars, and that would provide him a payoff of roughly $700,000 per contract. That amounts to a 650 times return on capital. What's more is that the probability of those credit default swaps defaulting was extremely high, as we now know. For anyone who'd put in the work to understand it, that was known fact. It was quite literally a tsunami approaching, and the market collectively did not care. You may say that that's, is, that's unusual, and I'd agree. I would also say that today we live in the most unusual world I've ever seen in my career, and when talking with some of the most seasoned of investors in the world, this sentiment is shared. Recent years have seen central banks double down on policies designed to create wealth. Rather than doing so, they've accomplished the most pervasive financial asset perversion this world's ever seen. Today it's in stocks, bonds and real estate, which have all become mispriced. The end result is the greatest wealth inequality that the world's seen since feudal times. To us it makes perfect sense to protect ourselves and paradoxically, the best way of doing so is to buy insurance. Insurance right now is extremely cheap in many asset classes. It is what we are constantly seeking out and hunting down, finding asymmetry in these asset classes, because we believe it's the most efficient method for us not only to gain additional wealth, but to actually protect ourselves. I'll continue to be discussing the mirrored opportunities as they cross our radar here at Capitalist Exploits. If you're not already signed up to receive our weekly commentary, you can do so at www capitalistexploits.at See you on the other side. Thanks very much for tuning in. To receive more great subscriber-only information, go to capitalistexploits.at